Hey, this is Congressman Doug Collins, and you're listening to The Sarah Carter Show. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Welcome to The Sarah Carter Show. I'm coming to you from Radio America, beautiful Radio America near Washington, D.C., near the swamp. I'm a fellow with the Independent Women's Forum, and you can read all my stories at sarahacarter.com. That's sarahacarter.com. And please follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. We're almost at a million. Follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carter DC. That's Sarah Carter DC. I would love to have your thoughts and ideas streaming in on our Twitter because we read them here, right on the show. And we are going to do that at the end of the show. So you got to stick with us, okay? Today we have a great show. We have Congressman Doug Collins with us today, and he's here in studio. We're doing this amazing interview with him because, as we all know, impeachment is the news of the day. It's all about impeachment, Adam. It's all I want to know about. I know. Impeachment, impeachment, impeachment. That's it, Jenny. Impeachment. That's all we're hearing. But not really. Because today is a very somber day. And it hit me like I've never felt this, you know, in a long time, this kind of pain uh, when I heard about Kobe Bryant's death. And it was such a shock, a shock, I think, across the country. I know you, Adam, you're a huge fan. You're a huge fan of Kobe Bryant, huge fan of basketball. Not even a fan of Kobe. I just this is one of those where it's like. Everybody, you don't even have to be a basketball fan. That's it. People around the globe are going to just remember where they were. I, I know this is one of those few rare moments where it's un, unraveling, and I'm like, this this is, this just doesn't seem real. No, it isn't real. I, I can tell you that I, I was sitting in Starbucks, and there was a lady in front of me, and she started to sign. Uh, she was speaking in sign language. She looked directly at me, and she started signing, and I said, what? And she looked so distressed. And she turned her phone around, and all I saw was Kobe Bryant dead. And I thought, I, I mean, it gave me the chills. And I thought, well, what happened? I started looking into my, you know, at my phone, trying to see the story, and it, it was even worse. And obviously, this is a podcast, so we're taping this on Monday. Right, a lot of right. facts are going to come out. You know, many of you are going to hear this later on. But my God, just hearing that his daughter was there as a mom, I don't have kids. I was just hoping maybe you well, could lend us some expertise of what that must feel like. I was I was going to talk about that because you're you're right on track with what I'm thinking. I have children. We have six all together. And I was thinking about my youngest daughter and I was thinking about being on that helicopter and his poor daughter, Gianna, being on the helicopter and her friend uh, and the other people that were on board that air, you know, on the helicopter when it happened. And the thing that goes through my mind is how do you comfort your child when you feel and you know that something is impending? And I think that's what hurts most. And I can imagine Kobe as a father that I, and I don't like to, to put my thoughts into someone else because I don't know what happened on that helicopter. And we, we just know it was a horrible tragedy. But that moment when you're trying to protect your child from the worst, the. And you the can't. Event, and you can't. And you just There's can't. There's nothing you can do but comfort them. And I got to tell you a story. This is one that that connects to that. And when it really hit me first was when I was in Afghanistan and, uh, you know, seeing what happened there to children and, you know, war and so many children that have lost their lives. But also when I was in Iraq 
And I was in the village of Sinjar in Shingal, right near the village there, um, which had been taken over by Islamic State. It was basically in a Yazidi village. And near the village, there was this mass grave that the Peshmerga had taken me to. And the reason why I bring this up is because when I was there, and I was standing over this mass grave, there were still some remnants of what had happened. A number of people, more than a dozen, killed and executed by ISIS, women and children included. And there was this small little blouse, and I'll never forget this. And I thought to myself, there was a mother here with her child, you know, and there was nothing she could do. And as a mom and as parents, you are all out there. I'm sure that it went through your minds when you were hearing the story about Kobe Bryant, such a phenomenal sports athlete, an incredible man, far beyond just the L.A. Lakers. You know, somebody who actually won an Oscar for a documentary in 2018. That was incredible. He was he was somebody that we all kind of connected with because we lived with him. He was so public. He was a part of our lives, even if we aren't basketball fans or even if we don't watch sports every day. Everybody knew Kobe Bryant's name. He was an American icon. In a world in L.A. where you can walk into the room and be the most popular person, that's, right. very, that's very rare. Yeah, where everybody loves you, you know? And then his beautiful daughter, that video of him and his daughter had gone viral. They were at the game together talking. Uh, you know... It goes to tell you and it goes to show you that life is short and we have to take moments in our lives. And, you know, it's very emotional because I think we all take this personally to spend time with our families, to tell our children that we love them. It sounds so cliche, but it's not. We spend so much of our lives wrapped up in other things that aren't important, things that really don't matter. What really matters is how we treat other human beings and especially the time we spend with our families, just letting them know that we love them. And when we're there, we're with them. We're not away from them. We're not in our phones. We're, we're listening to them. We're, we're enjoying the time we have together because life is so precious. And um, if we've learned anything, it's that from this horrific tragedy. And I, I think everybody should send letters of condolences wherever they can and, and and just let the family know that as Americans, we support them. We might not even be able to. We want so badly to support that, support that family. Right. right. But if you can't, just treat your neighbor in a way that you would like to treat that exactly. family right now. Let's just maybe just pass on some good vibes. This could happen to anybody. Right, right. And, you know, and Adam brought up to just such a great point right there because it is how we treat each other. And that's the greatest gift that we can give one another, right? We can treat each other with kindness and maybe just take a step back and say thank you to somebody who holds a door open for us or say hello to the person on the street that looks very alone and very hungry and very tired. We might not know who they are, but maybe just a nice little hi and acknowledging that they're even there would be something. Um, I just send my prayers, and I know you will too, to this wonderful family and to all the people that were affected by this horrific helicopter crash. And let's not forget, uh, let's not forget them. And we won't forget them if we do what's right for ourselves and live our lives the right way.
by taking a little time out to tell people that we love them. I'm going to move on. I know, you know, this is, you know, it's we could spend the entire podcast talking about this. But there's, uh, you know, other things happening in the news, and I'm, I'm not trying not to talk about them, but I want to go there with you because this is what we do here at the Sarah Carter Show. We try to get you all the information we can. And I'm going to jump right into something else. I mean, this is crazy. This is like a really tough time this week. Coronavirus, right? I mean, what's happening? What is happening here? I mean, I have my, my daughter, who's seven, is like... Mom, you know, she loves flying airplanes now. She's a little concerned. But now this coronavirus is something, you know, that that everyone's talking about. We're all worried about. Let's let's talk about this. I mean, we have uh, it's on the rise. We're not seeing a regression in the coronavirus. What we're seeing is a surge right now. And, you know, these numbers are going to fluctuate. They are going to change. So maybe by the time you listen to this podcast, if it's a few days from now, if it's a week from now, those numbers hopefully will not be as high But uh, as I think they might be. But right now we're looking at around 3,000 people worldwide diagnosed with the coronavirus. And it is spreading Faster and faster. We got five people right now, as I'm talking to you, in the United States with the coronavirus. Um, 80 people known, and and I think this is a small number right now. I think we're going to hear higher numbers coming out of China. But 80 people dead from the coronavirus in China. There is a massive effort underway by the Chinese, actually, to get this under control. And one of the things that we've seen is uh, there's the concern is so great the concern is so great that they have shut down Disneyland in Hong Kong, uh, that any of the Disney facilities in China, they have shut down air travel. They have, uh, you know, biomedical experts on the case here. CDC is monitoring the World Health Organization is monitoring. We have people within China that are experts uh, tracking this virus and trying to mitigate the spread of this virus. And it's it, they're not able to do it. Remember, this is this is what people have been warning about in the medical community for some time. This is hopefully. Not one of our worst fears, but something that they have been warning about in pandemics is something that we have to be very, very concerned about because this is a real threat, a real threat to all of us on this planet. Whether you're from the United States, whether you're from China, whether you're living in Saudi Arabia, whether you're in Israel, no matter where you're at, this is an invisible enemy that targets us and we won't even know it until we're sick with it. So you got to keep vigilant, not be freaked out about it. Let's not get too. Me out right I'm now. sorry, I'm <laughs> freaking Adam and Jenny out. But you know what? We've got to be vigilant, right? We've got to know. We've got to keep ourselves clean. Wash your hands. Yeah, do all we, the things. What can we do? Is there anything I can do to prevent this? Because well, you got to keep yourself clean. You can't. You got to wash your continually wash your hands. Teach your children to wash their hands. Um, remember, if you do feel like you're coming down with the flu, if you've traveled in that region, immediately go to your doctor just to be checked just to make sure because one of the things you don't want to do is not get checked because you can spread the virus to other people it looks like you know in this modern day and age where we can uh, go to a hospital where we can get treatment uh, especially getting enough fluids that means going to the hospital probably having to have IVs and stuff like that it's important that we do those things um, and that's how we save lives 
and that's how we save them. So we're keeping our eye on this. Remember, we've got roughly 3,000 people, as I'm talking to you right now, who are infected with this virus, and we're looking at more probably in the next and upcoming weeks. So just go to John Hopkins' website, guys. It'll keep you informed. We're posting on sarahcarter.com, continual reports coming out of John Ho- Johns Hopkins on this. They're tracking and monitoring this virus. And if there's any developing stories or any breaking news, I promise we will post it on the website, sarahacarter.com. Go to sarahacarter.com and Johns Hopkins' website to track this virus. It's very important that you keep yourself educated on it. Now moving on. We're going to move on from two very depressing stories. Now we're going to John Bolton. What the heck is going on with John Bolton? Former National Security Advisor. You know, he was a former U.N. ambassador working with Donald Trump. Trump uh, brought him into the White House. Uh, you know, I was always a little bit concerned about this. I got to tell you, even when even when President Trump brought him into the White House, I was thinking, these are very two type A personalities. And John Bolton's got his own, you know, his own way about him. He's very stern. He's not afraid to say what he's thinking at any point in time. Uh, and right now it appears that he's being a little bit vengeful, according to people that I've been talking to. And why do I say this? Because I think you've all seen the news and have heard that John Bolton actually, a parts of his book, have been leaking to the press. The New York Times has written about this. Other news outlets are writing about this. Uh, there is a concern now that some of the Republican senators uh, overseeing the impeachment trial may now want uh, to call John Bolton as a witness Basically, they will be asking him questions about what happened inside the White House uh, with President Trump and Ukraine. And this is very interesting because John Bolton, even though these leaks have been coming out on his book, a lot of people are saying he's doing it for money because he's trying to promote the book. I don't know if that's true or not. I haven't talked to John Bolton about this. I've spoken to him only a few times way in the past before he became the national security advisor. Uh, But he and President Trump had a big falling out. And now what we're seeing is a little bit of I'm going to get you back action here in Washington, D.C. But I'm going to tell you this. Even if... John Bolton and President Trump had these, by the way, it's it's protected under executive privilege. Any kind of disagreements, which President Trump said he did not have with him over Ukraine, that he did not discuss with him over Ukraine. But if they had any sort of disagreement whatsoever, those disagreements happen inside the White House. President Trump has executive privilege. And if Adam Schiff, if Adam Schiff, this isn't new, guys. This is nothing new. It's not like all of a sudden because we saw these leaks that, oh, this is a new revelation. There was actual talk about this and John Bolton and President Trump having this falling out during the House impeachment trials. And Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler could have called, could have called John Bolton to testify before the House during those impeachment trials, but they decided not to. Because they wanted to impeach the president before the new year. They wanted that impeachment to happen in December no matter what. They did not want to wait. They didn't want to go to the courts. 
to take it to the courts where they should have taken it, where they should have taken it to fight for witnesses, and they did not. There is nothing new here. No matter how much the mainstream media is playing this or tilting this story in their direction, what is new here is that, okay, John Bolton wrote a book and he's pissed off at President Trump. All right. But there's nothing impeachable about that. There was nothing impeachable in anything that was brought out before the House. And now at the Senate, and now we see them arguing, right? We see Pat Cipollone, it was great, Jay Sekulow on Saturday responding to the Democrats' allegations again over and over and over. We saw everybody falling asleep, by the way, last week. People playing tic-tac-toe on the Senate floor, people walking around, pulling out their hair, try slapping their faces, trying to keep themselves awake. Okay, I did a little bit of shifting there. I thought it was dazzling. <laughs> dazzling. Jeffrey Tubin from CNN, he thought it was dazzling. Adam Schiff's remarkable, dazzling speech, filled with inaccuracies and lies, by the way. So embarrassing for Jeffrey Tubin. I, I'm sorry. That's just so embarrassing. You just don't ever say that about Adam Schiff, that he was dazzling. But he did. So that's what we saw. We saw people frustrated. I think there were even some videos of people playing with fidget spinners, like as they were sitting there trying to stay awake. I mean, this is crazy. And then on Saturday, remarkable, remarkable comeback with Pat Cipollone and Jay Sekulow. But of course, it's on a Saturday. That's when they start the how the response to the Senate. This is the president's defense team responding to the Senate. They're opening arguments. And they're actually speaking this week. So now this is what we're going to be talking today with Congressman Doug Collins from the great state of Georgia. He is um, he is a very articulate, remarkable uh, lawyer. He's able to put together these thoughts and facts, what has happened to President Trump over the last three years. This isn't just about the last few months, people. This is about three years of Democrats attempting to impeach President Trump or trying to remove him from office. And by the way, it's about you, the American people who voted for President Trump. This is about you. They are trying to take away your rights. And that is unacceptable. That is worth fighting for. And that's what they are doing. So we're going to have Doug Collins discussing this. Of course, it is going to last throughout the week. Now we're actually hearing that Susan Collins, uh, Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, uh, Lamar Alexander, those senators that may tilt everything. Those are the Republican senators that everybody's watching right now. Could they maybe make the decision to call witnesses? Could they vote for witnesses? We don't know yet. We'll find out for sure this week, though, and we'll know where we're going with that. Uh, so one of the things you want to be watching for is that we're going to have Doug Collins talking about that in the upcoming next 20 minutes or so, about about that, about a roughly 20-minute interview. You have to listen to it. It's so, so important. And remember, Congressman Doug Collins is not just a congressman, but he is a chaplain for the United States Air Force. And I just want to throw it out there, but he's a chaplain with the United States Air Force Reserves. And I expect him to be just laying it all out, just like any good chaplain would. 
Congressman Collins, thank you so much for being here today and in studio, everyone. I'm so excited to have him because if anyone knows about impeachment and what's happening now on the Senate floor in this trial, it's Congressman Doug Collins. Uh, you're you're also one of the president's lawyers, I mean, a, a representative for him. And so I think this is very important. I want to just start off at the top before you start talking with the most interesting statement made by Chairman Jerry Nadler. Could you play that for me, Adam? He is a dictator. This must not stand. And that is why another reason he must be removed from office. Okay. Is there... <laughs> Really? Anything in the Constitution that would allow us to impeach a president because Congress uh, because Congressman Chairman Jerry Nadler thinks that the president is a dictator, which know. he is not. Uh, that sticks and stones things come to mind here a little bit, you know. <laughs> but you know, it's a a little bit of an issue. I mean, look, this shows you how bad this has been, sir. I mean, look at it. When you have the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, number one, he's still upset because he, impeachment got pulled from his committee and given to Adam Schiff. He didn't get to do anything but rubber stamp Adam Schiff's work. I think that's something that you, you talk about a story for the ages on this one. But he's still upset about it, and him and the president go back. This is another interesting issue. Adam. Uh, Jerry Nadler and Donald Trump went back 40 years. That's they, right. They're not new to each other. And this, uh, there's a dislike there. There has always been a political dislike. Um, and for him to say that, though, on the, on the House floor, I mean, the Senate floor, he said it in the House as well, but on the Senate floor, he did more damage, I believe, their case, whether you thought they had a case or not, because actually senators, and we now have uh, the report that Susan Collins actually sent a note to Justice Roberts saying, you know, this is not the way you discuss this. But to say he's a dictator, that's just hyperbole. And when you look at it from the perspective of you're supposed to be committing a case that you've worked on, that you've actually, you actually believe in, and you should believe that this president should be impeached for things that he did wrong against the national interest. And if that's what you came to as name-calling, then I think we see how far this is sunk. Well, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this trial where we're at this week because we have Pat Cipollone, Jay Sekulow, both coming out. Very strong defense. We saw this. A very strong defense over the weekend for the president. Um, we know that Adam Schiff, his arguments in the House, we hear these same arguments in the Senate, it's exhausting. We can see that even the American people are exhausted. The ratings were plummeting for Adam Schiff. Nobody was paying attention. In fact, more people were watching soap operas mm -hmm. than watching Adam Schiff. We see independence. There's more truth in soap operas. There's more. <laughs> I would definitely, <laughs> you know, I would definitely have to agree with you on you that. At least you mimic some real life, I guess. I don't. Well, know. you bring up a really great point here. Before we go to the president's defense, mm -hmm. let's talk about Adam Schiff. Over and over again, he has been caught in multiple lies, spreading disinformation. In fact, he's still on this uh, train that believes that President Trump colluded and conspired with Russia. We know that is absolutely false. We saw it both in Robert Mueller's uh, report as well as we've seen this over and over again in Michael Horowitz's reports mm -hmm. from the Inspector General. That, uh, and so when we think about this, how does Adam Schiff survive this and continue before the American public. Why isn't anyone holding him accountable? Because if anyone is spreading disinformation, it's certainly Adam Schiff. Well, he is the, you know, the chief, you know, storyteller, what I call from for the Democratic side. But there's one reason why Adam Schiff can continue to do what he is do, doing. Uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi. His empowerment comes from Speaker Pelosi. 
And if you go back in this whole process, when she found or they came to her, and again, this goes back to something that I've talked about a lot that gets you know, sort of brushed under. The July 24th call happened. And then on the, uh, the, the 24th, we had Mueller. 25th, we had the call. And 18 days later, we had the first reports of now that we found out about the whistleblower issue. During that 18 days, there was contact between Adam Schiff's office and Adam Schiff and the whistleblower. So, again, we don't know what's happening to this process. But what I can glean from now what I have seen move forward was there began to be the seeds of here's how we can get the president. We couldn't get him on Mueller. You know, all this other stuff is, is just fell to the side. But here we go. We can paint a narrative that this president strong-armed a weaker country, if that's the way they want to classify it, who is under attack by Russia, again, playing the Russian narrative, playing everything else. And if you remember early on, they were saying, well, we're going to call the whistleblower. We're going to have all this out. What they didn't count on, number one, is a truthful president. Number two, they didn't count on a president who was willing to break tradition and protocol to unclassify a transcript. If I've said this before. If Nancy Pelosi had waited 24 hours, would she have made the same decision? What now, do you think? I'm, I don't think so. I think she was at that point in time, she was still up in the air. I think she probably possibly would have still went on with a lot of hearings and a lot of, you know, misinformation, things out there. But I think they were searching for anything. The deadline was imminent. They had to get this thing started because December was was coming right around the corner. And they wanted it done before the end of the year. That's for sure. Oh, exactly. So so again, you go back to your question of Adam Schiff. When is he going to be held accountable? I think history will. You know, I don't. You never want to say what history will judge, but I think history will actually have to go back here and say, okay, how can someone who is so consistently wrong be placed in a place to be so consistently looked up to? But it also fits the normal or mainstream media narrative that this president is bad for the country. So he plays the useful, you know, person, so to speak, as you would. That, <laughs> I think uh, I know what you're going to say there. <laughs> you know, the useful person to say, okay, let's stand up here and say anything. There's going to be a part of America who will believe that. He'll make a very, you know, slow and convincing case, if you would. And the problem is they're not buying it. Well, let's listen to this. Adam, I would like you to play Rashida Tlaib um, during the House impeachment uh, as they went in for the vote. This is really important because you brought up Nancy Pelosi and there was a lot of pressure on the House Speaker to bring up impeachment, to push mm -hmm. for impeachment. And it mainly came from the squad, mm -hmm. from Gerald Nadler and from Adam Schiff. But I want to play Rashida Tlaib as she was heading in for the vote. Hey, everyone. I am on my way to the United States House floor to impeach President Trump. On behalf of my incredible district, 13 District Strong. Let's do this. I, she was panting. I mean, if you see the video, if you all, all the listeners out there, go out there and look up this video, she was almost skipping mm -hmm. in happiness as she was heading to impeach the president. This was like her great victory, a victory for, you know, AOC and for the squad and Ilhan Omar and, of course, Adam Schiff and Gerald Nadler. Do you believe that Nancy Pelosi was just really pushed into this and had no power Really, no, no power to, to stop this momentum? Or do you think that Nancy just became, Nancy Pelosi just became a part of this? The Congresswoman just jumped on it. I think a little bit of both. I, I think going through, I think there's been an, an antipathy you know, between the president and Ms. Pelosi. They, Speaker Pelosi have had this battling back and forth over uh, time. Uh, his style and her style are very different. 
um, you know, he, she's an institutionalist. She's she's been here forever. She's behind the scenes. She's worked this. She, he, he's of course very forceful. He's out front. He says what he believes. He, 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 you know, there's no the one thing about it. There's nobody in this country cannot think. Well, what does President Trump think about this? You know, he puts it out there, and which I think is actually bringing refreshing for this time. And why, when I go across the country, millennials and younger folks are saying, you know, I may not agree with that, but at least he's out there. At least I know where he's at. But you go back to the House itself. Rashida Tlaib, you know, Congresswoman Tlaib had a, a moment she had to overcome. Frankly, and I think in her way, she was being vindicated of her own uh, very poor comments on the very night she was sworn in, when she were, said, we're going to you know, impeach this guy, and use very foul language to do it. Um, they came in, for, her, for, for Speaker Pelosi to say that people did not come to Washington, D.C. to impeach this president is just wrong. So I think what happened over time was... There was this understanding from the base that we're going to there's they they have been telling their base for so long this president had done things illegally that this president was just he was a, a, a invalid president he was illegal everything so you had this building all last year well the first one was remember it's going to be Mueller well Mueller fell flat we had uh, investigations into uh, security clearances we had investigations and everything everything just fell flat and so it really became what can we do to please this part of our base who is pulling our party to the left even further, who is now primarying sitting members of Congress. I mean, Elliot Engel um, is getting a primary, and, and AOC is in charge of that. And, and so I think they're having to adjust to that. So I think it was, uh, I got to give in here. It, it fits our base narrative a little bit, and she didn't really have enough pushback in her own conference to say this is terrible. Well, let's go back to Pat Cipollone and Jay Sekulow. They brought up incredible arguments. I mean, really, it's just common sense. If you look at the law, what they're saying is common sense. There are no facts in this case against President Trump. No matter how they try to stretch it, the Democrats stretch it, and no matter how they try to argue, uh, the facts remain is that we've all listened to the transcripts. Mm And you made up a very good point. You brought it up. Look, these transcripts were considered highly classified. He set precedents by mm-hmm. releasing the transcripts to the American public because he felt there was no other way to show them. And he didn't want to drag it out. How do you think, first of all, the defense is doing right now and as they're coming into arguments this week, one, and two, do you think that uh, Adam Schiff has any... And let's go back to this. Adam Schiff has any merit when it'll come to trying to bring in witnesses as far as, and I'll go into this with you later, John Bolton or anybody else that's popping up in the news now? To me personally, coming from the House and having to live through this, uh, any call for witnesses from Adam Schiff simply highlight the fact he didn't do his job to start with. It just simply highlights this as a political impeachment to start with. And I don't care, frankly, what party line you go, Democrat, Republican, Independent, don't care, whatever. Um, you cannot come to the conclusion that a political impeachment is good for our country. Um, and it's been said before. I mean, were there, a lot, were there folks in our party who thought, you know, when the President Obama came and said, I'll have a pen and a, and a cell phone, I'm going to do what I want to do. He did uh, issues with Obamacare, issues with DACA. They were completely, you know, frankly, illegal. I mean, to a sense, you could not, you know, especially on appropriations of money, things like that. You know, we go back to these famous GAO reports. I mean, they did it many times to him. But the interesting issue here is, is many, even though we had voices in our party, and I've, I'd heard them before, oh, impeach you know, President Obama. No, that's not what this is for. And I think when you look at it, that's my concern. I have an institutional problem right now. I believe that Nancy Pelosi, no matter who she's trying to please 
in her party has trashed the house in such a way to get to the end that she wants that I'm not sure where we come back from from here. This is going to this is a, a defining moment, not in President Trump. President Trump's going to be acquitted. We're going to move forward. And and to call new witnesses possibly so. We have some that are, have been open to it. I think Mitt Romney and someone who said, oh, I think we might need to. I don't think it's going to change because their case was so bad. Because I said for the first time, these senators are actually going to see this beyond a three-minute soundbite. And they saw three days of it, plus the time that they actually argued facts during the motion hearing. So right. it, it's just, they, and then they didn't come away with anything. And then, you know, it basically took two hours. And the best part I thought about the president's legal team, and I've been working with them for a while, Pat and Jay and, and, and Pat and, and Mike, they just got up and they said, look, you've heard a, a wonderful narrative here. But let's tell you what, you know, is I think is actually Pat said, the rest of the story, the old Paul Harvey line. Well, here it is. Here's the rest. Of, here's what he didn't show you. It's about like every time a Democrat would come up and say, do me a favor. The president <laughs> never said, do me a favor. And even this morning I was doing an interview and, and the reporter actually said, well, he said, do us a favor. I said, well, well, well finish the quote. Do us a favor because our country has been through so much. Exactly. It's a telling you, line. It, well, and it completely changes the statement. Yes. If you drop it without saying the rest of the sentence, then you're completely lost. You're assuming one thing that is absolutely false. Mm-hmm. And now let's go back to this. You brought up the fact that Adam Schiff could have called. He could have called witnesses. He could have gone to the court and fought for witnesses, which is a process that that plays out when you have these impeachment trials. And he decided not to. They wanted it to be before December, you know, or in December before the beginning of the new year. That's why they wanted to impeach. And now we have these leaks, these John Bolton leaks. We, you know, most of us who've been around this town for a while know John Bolton, know how angry John Bolton can get. We don't know where these leaks came from. Uh, Is there any merit to that? Is there anything that you think can change the trajectory of an acquittal based on what we've heard so far in the New York Times or any of these leaks regarding John Bolton? From a factual basis, no. From a political narrative basis, people will try to claim victories. But let's go back to the very facts. I don't care what, frankly, John Bolton says. And and I'll, I'll accept everything that's leaked to be his belief. Okay, we're still assuming that it was you know, how he got that information, or was it directly from the president? Is he saying it was him, or was it still this you know, uh, you know hearsay kind of thing? But let's just you know, even if he said that there was some discussion about you know we need this investigation, well, again, that's a whole different topic we can talk about. Is running for president make you exempt from investigation? I think that's an interesting comment that no Democrat has ever wanted to answer my question on that. Uh, number two is, what does it change? There were disagreements all throughout this process, you know, with with folks from the State Department, Taylor and, and the rest of them, who said we had a difference. Lieutenant Colonel Vinman said this was a policy difference. But the last time I checked, the person who sets foreign policy for this country is the president. He so takes, explain that. executive, yeah. and, and explain executive privilege as well. Yeah, well, that's important. Executive privilege is very important because you have to have the ability to have the folks around you be able to share uh, in a way in which – that cannot be, you know, frankly used against them or brought out, and and not that it's used against them in an illegal way, but the simple that there needs to be, uh, you know, frank, honest conversation, and you know, if all of those were all of a sudden, you know, foiled and sent out to everybody, then how is it going to look if you really had a disagreement with the president, and the president made another choice, and you're going to say, and those who politically agreed with you say, well, see, I saw you in this meeting, and you disagree with the president, you need to go. No, that's what. That's what staffs are for. I have staffs that we agree and disagree all the time. But at the end of the day, I have to make a decision. So I think this is the part that is, is from Bolton's perspective, 
If it does go, it's going to drag this out, but I don't think it's going to change the facts. Uh, from a legal perspective, again, the case was never made. But also, don't let Jerry Nadler off the hook here. Don't let Chairman Nadler off the hook. Because, you know, we oh, always right. say Adam Schiff didn't call witnesses. Well, if my chairman had basically had a backbone, he could have called any witnesses he wants. He was not bound to anything except what the chairman Schiff and Speaker Pelosi had told him to. He simply became a rubber stamp. We could have been still hearing today having Judiciary Committee hearings on impeachment. But it was. But if it's about finding truth, that's one thing If it, in their mind. But if it's about politically assassinating in, uh, from a humiliation standpoint or from a political characterization, then that is a whole different issue because you're trying to take out his character. That's a political hit job. Well, and we saw that, didn't we, in Inspector General Michael Horowitz's report. Mm -hmm. Let's go back because I think it's so much has happened over the past three years in an attempt to target President Trump that we've forgotten about the stories that really brought us here in the first place. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that we saw laid out in Horowitz's report where the FBI and officials within the FBI basically submitted foreign intelligence surveillance applications that had omitted critical information on Carter Page, who was a short-term volunteer for President Trump, omitted critical information, changed critical information. We've seen over and over again the text between Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, would appear to be complete bias mm -hmm. of President Trump, a need to remove him from office. So this impeachment hearing isn't something that came out of nowhere. It's oh. been Three years, if not even before the election, of people within Washington's establishment, a bureaucracy, mostly on the left, but we've seen some in the right, and we've also seen that within the deep, I guess, what people like to call the deep state of mm -hmm. the State Department, the DOJ, you know, our different uh, departments here in Washington, D.C., targeting President Trump and mm -hmm. really trying to isolate him and, and go after him. What do we do as Americans when you have a machine that is actually running against the American people and a duly elected president? I mean, as far as I know, the American people elected President Trump to be president of these United States. Very much so. Right. So what 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 can the American people do? What can Congress do to stop this? I think the very much is the very first thing is, is we couldn't have, you know, I, from a perspective of, of of time i think we could not have a better president to be at this center at this time to deal with these issues than we have in president trump this has always been in existence this has been an interesting thing uh going on there was there was always those in the departments that thought the state department you know if you go over there and listen to some of their career folks we've heard it in the testimony well my father and my grandfather were all in the state department you ought to listen to me no I mean, you are part of the government. You are not the government. Okay, there's a whole different aspect here. Read the Constitution. I mean, I'm, there is one good thing, sir. And just as a side note here, if anything, this has happened. Finally, Democrats have actually said, "Well, maybe we need to read the founders' documents." They're just reading them, in, you know, not in the selective reading, and also reading the Constitution. And maybe they'll actually start applying it. Maybe it'll seek into them that the president is the head of the executive branch. The president does set this. And these folks in the State Department and other places are there to give advice, they're to give help. But at the end of the day, it's to carry out the goal of this president, duly elected by the uh, people. So President Trump is in the right place at the right time to call this out. No other president's ever done this. They've all fought about it. They've all fought with it. They've all fought against it. But also, think about how long. You made an interesting point. It's hard to believe it's been over three years. Do you think? Do you remember it took him almost till May to get his cabinet? 
Absolutely. And it, that was the most appalling thing that the Senate at that time did. They took him that long because the senators, every time he brings somebody up, except for the very few he got the first day, it took them forever to get him appointed. And this vice president was having to go up there. I'm one of those, if, if a Democrat president, whoever it is, they deserve their cabinet. I, I may not like it. I may not like who he puts in there. But that's what I knew getting into this the, the election, that if he or she won, they would get whoever they want. But for him, they just started dragging it out from day one. He's fought against this from day one. Let me ask you this. We've got Susan Collins. We have Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, and Lamar Alexander. Those are the four senators that everybody's talking about that could possibly be wavering. The four Republicans that everybody is a little bit concerned about. What do you think happens with them? I think it's going to be, uh, at the end of the day, I don't believe that they will call witnesses. I think uh, Mitt Romney, I mean, he made even a comment over this past weekend that he was still open to it and, and thinks that it might be. But that's not a surprise. That's been sort of understood. Um, but I think, you know, with Murkowski, Collins, Alexander, I know I've heard other names thrown in there. I think at the end of the day, they they look at this case and they're saying, okay, why do I have to now make the case? Because they really have to understand something. Nothing that they're going to bring forward. The Democrats have not asked for a witness yet that disputes the facts of there was no pressure, no conditionality. They got their aid without doing anything, and the aid came before September 30th. That, those four facts never change. And that and that is something that our listeners have to understand. Those are the four main facts of this case. There was no aid withheld September 30th. That It all came through. And, and I want to talk to you about this because— President Obama did not support Ukraine with lethal aid, and no. President Trump has. Yes. And that's just a fact. Mm-hmm. So how do they even argue that? Well, in this town, I've never found that facts get in the way of a good argument. And, um, <laughs> you know, that happens a lot. Um, and, and, again, that's where the political aspect of this comes in. So I, th- I think they're going to ar- continue to argue. Again, it just highlights it every time. Every time you see that, say political impeachment. Every time you see a argument that says, well, facts don't matter, we got to— Political impeachment. We need a new witness. Political impeachment. We need to talk about this. Political impeachment. Why? Because they don't have the case. And they could have had their case, but they, if they thought they could get it, they just didn't have it. And it was just so telling when Adam Schiff on the floor of the Senate said, well, I'm glad that the president's counsel talked about this in the motions, but if we'd have called John Bolton, he would have just run to court. Right. Well, thank you very much, Adam Schiff, for telling us exactly what the law is and how everybody should take advantage of what the law allows us to do. The Constitution and the, and the Bill of Rights and those things are not negotiable documents just because you're trying to get something. That's absolutely true. So what happens here? What happens when there is or if there is an acquittal of the president? Mm-hmm. What do you expect the reaction of the Democrats to be? Do you expect them to continue going after President Trump, continue targeting President Trump all the way to 2020 in such a way that maybe, and we've heard this from Nancy Pelosi, that impeachment could still be something that they look at in the future? I mean, this is, this is what they want. Oh, it is. And I think it's a continuing. I think what you're going to say, I think they've already give up the fact. Let's just be honest. I think the House managers have already given up the fact they're losing. Uh, and if you didn't believe that, just listen to uh, Hakeem Jeffries, listen to Zoe Lofgren, but literally listen to Jerry Nadler. Jerry Nadler is the one, if if anything, is just peel back the, the onion, so to speak, and says, we're not going to win this, and you're not going to give us what we want, so you're corrupt. I mean, he, he is a all but said it. He's a dictator. This must not stand, and that is why... <laughs> Another reason he must be removed from office. That's it. And the voice came in. You know, I have to. You know, please don't do that to me. I have to sit next to this man all the time. No, uh, the voice comes in. But but it is true. He's a dictator, and, and, and it's what he says. I mean, if Jerry Nadler really feels that way, 
I mean, then then there's no getting to him. There's no trying to reason with him. Um, and let's go back. Let's let's unpack Jerry Nadler for a second. Last year, when investigations were started, and, you know, and Elijah Cummings was, of course, in oversight. You had uh, Elliot Engel in Foreign Affairs. You had Adam Schiff in Intel, and you had uh, Jerry Nadler in uh, Judiciary. What was really interesting is, is when we were fighting on Mueller and, and grand jury documents and everything, he never would engage with the Department of Justice. Elliot Engel's getting tons of documents from the State Department. Oh, uh, Elijah Cummings was getting a lot of stuff on like the uh, security clearance investigation. Correct. Adam Schiff finally figured it out. He started negotiating with the, uh, the Department of Justice and got documents. Only Jerry Nadler refused to engage with the State Department and went with the Justice Department. And that, to me, just showed the bias from day one. He wanted it his way, only his way, and would refuse to go through the process because at the end of the day, it was all about getting to an impeachment. Okay, I have to ask this question. It's about Voldemort. It is the name that shall not be mentioned. What? It's the wit. It is. It is. It's the Voldemort effect in uh, Senate, in Congress, across all cable news channels. I mean, I think you'll see the name. Be very cautious of it when you do. Uh, is the whistleblower. And this whistleblower that made basically turned this over to Michael Atkinson, who is the inspector general, this report. By the way, I'm going to ask you quickly about Michael Atkinson because he's in hot water, too. He's being investigated by Republicans because they're looking at his testimony, of course. Uh, But this whistleblower, what is so mysterious? Why are we all so cautious? Everybody wants to know this. I mean, I hear it on Twitter all the time. What's going on with this whistleblower, Adam Schiff, who we believe, and based on what we've seen and based on a New York Times report as well, his committee worked with this whistleblower on this report before it was turned in Mm -hmm. to the IG. I think it's become one of those things, really, you talk, if there's ever a cultural phenomenon that happened, it happened around this issue right here. Because in everything else, there's only Mr. Atkinson who couldn't name this whistleblower. That's under the law. Everything else is, and especially what has been found out. The interesting thing, though, is I think from the left, they now understand we can't go against, we can't really bring what we wanted to because, one, the transcript got released. Number two, uh, we found out that our golden uh, prosecutor actually met with and possibly coordinated with how to answer that. And my question is, and frankly, the, the whistleblower didn't check the proper boxes in his uh, whistleblower complaint. Did that come from Adam Schiff's committee? Was there, you know, an issue there? Did they imply that he shouldn't put that there? If that is, that's a whole different law set up over there. That's right. Um, you know, so that, I think that's where this this whole issue is. And I think for those uh, you may be on the you know the news shows and cable news shows is because it would become such a firefly issue, a fire just a storm issue. Is it really worth it? At this point in time, we know that the Democrats are dealing off of information in a whistleblower complaint that had multiple, 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 multiple errors in it. So, again, at the end of the day, it's become one of those things is, is the bringing up of this person, which they'll never call, you know, worth the the faux outrage from the left over an outing of a whistleblower over issues that, you know, Adam Schiff and his committee had, you know, dealings with. And if there are witnesses, if if it does for some reason move in that direction, could this last months and months, like my colleague or and good friend over at Fox News, Laura Ingram, likes to say, she's like, this could go on for months <laughs> if there are witnesses. We'll be sitting here for months. It could. I mean, because I mean, it depends on who you're asking. I mean, if you're trying to get Mike Mulvaney and some of those folks, that is well within uh, executive privilege area, and the courts have ruled on that area. So I think I think it could last for a while.
Uh, so I know that I've got to let you go because you're getting ready to take a flight out of here. But I want to leave the last question up to you. Um, and, and I want you to address the American people because I think it's so frustrating for them. And there's so many people out there. We hear it in our emails, huh, Jenny? We, we hear it all the time on Twitter. They're like, is this ever going to end? Are they ever going to let President Trump just be a president? And are they ever going to work for us, the American people? There was a great article. Jenny pointed it out earlier. I, I read it in the Wall Street Journal. You know, Congress is king. You know, I mean, basically saying, like, will we be able to allow our president to do his job and then Congress do the job for us instead of continuously trying to dictate and push this administration out. I think they're going to continually fight against the president, but it's really the House, especially right now under Nancy Pelosi, that is the emperor with no clothes. I mean, they they don't have any agenda. They have the reason they're fighting against the president is because they can't sell their agenda. And so when you understand it from that perspective, they're going to ha- their only agenda is to attack President Trump. So really what needs to happen is the House needs to flip in November and President Trump needs to get reelected. Then we can move forward and get what we did the first two years, tax reform, all these trade deals, all these kind of things done. Because really, they, Nancy Pelosi, as Speaker, has shown once already, and I think she's showing it again now, she's willing to sacrifice the majority in the House for a political agenda. In 2010, 9 and 10, it was Obamacare. She sacrificed the House majority for that bill, which was unworkable from the beginning and caused a complete disaster in our health care market. She now, I believe, is putting her House majority and her speakership again online because they believe that the presidency is the ultimate goal because every, they have a president and President Obama who just worked completely around Congress and did regulatory after regulation that just destroyed our economy. Okay, my, my listeners are going to kill me. You might get mad at me. I have one more question. I, can I? Does he have time for one more? Okay, I was just talking to the staffers over here. I know they're going to keep him on time. But I can't let you go without asking your thoughts on Attorney General William Barr and Prosecutor John Durham's mm-hmm. uh, continuing investigation. By the way, criminal probe, everyone. Remember, this is a criminal probe into what happened at the FBI. And we're expecting something. I mean, Barr has alluded to the fact that maybe sometime around the spring or early summer, we might be hearing more from uh, from John Durham. Yep. What do you think is going on? Or what have you heard? Can well, you give us any hints? No. A little bit. I think the best thing that's happened in this whole process is Bill Barr coming back as attorney general. Number one. I think Bill Barr has handled the role in a a professional way. He doesn't let anything get to him. He's going to do what he feels is best to do, and he's going to serve uh, the administration, but he's also going to serve the Department of Justice. I think he was appalled at how bad the Department of Justice had fell from the time he was attorney general before till now. And I think he came back. We've talked about duty and honor in this town a lot over the last little bit about who is who is patriotic. Bill Barr, to me, is one of the most patriotic to come back and actually do this job when nobody else could do it as well as he has. He put John Durham in charge. Durham is going to investigate this. And, you know, it's interesting to me, as Durham pushed this forward, it's amazing how the silence beater comes from Brennan and Clapper and Comey. And, you know, if I've if, noticed if, that if, as well. If for Very any, quiet yeah. on Twitter, not a lot of statements. Yeah. If any, if for anything else, just to have him out there to put mute on those three, that's a happy day. I mean, <laughs> I'm so sick of the James Comey, I'm Captain America syndrome. And, and again, if anybody ever wants to go back, this is historic history with uh, Jim Comey. He didn't begin to be Captain America two years ago. He's been believing he has been for 20 years. Oh, and we can see that in all. 
all of his tweets. Not only Captain America, but some great philosopher. I love when he stands in front of tall trees or looks over a landscape and and tries to pontificate about how wonderful he is and how much he's teaching us as the American people. Now, silence. I don't think it could have ended a better way. Putting Brennan and Comey on mute. That is what John Durham and William Barr are doing. (laughs) And no one could explain that better than the great Congressman Doug Collins, who is amazing. And by the way, like I said earlier in my opening, he is a chaplain with the United States Air Force Reserve. You couldn't have a better man serving his country and serving it on Capitol Hill. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being on with me today. It's great. Great interview with Congressman Doug Collins. Really important. Uh, I think he brought up a great point. There is no president better for what is happening right now than this historic moment than President Trump. And that's important to note that we are living in historical times, which is why I want to hear from you, the American people, our listeners out there who have so many questions and, you know, I try to read through all of your tweets. I go on Instagram, try to read your responses, as many of them as I can, believe it or not. Every single day we're monitoring that and we know what you're worried about. Uh, we know what you're concerned about and we know what you want more of in the news based on what your responses are. One of the issues is uh, impeachment. The other one definitely is the coronavirus right now and some of you have shown that you you know, you're very concerned uh, and actually very heartbroken over the death of Kobe Bryant and his daughter and the others that were on the helicopter with him. Uh, so we want to give you a moment to talk. We want to give your voice out there a reason. You know, it's not just disappearing into the Internet, into the Web, into this great uh, invisible universe of Twitterverse. But Jenny is going to read some of those for us right now, and I'm going to respond to them. Jenny, what do we have? So right now we have anonymous source. He says, I thought the whistleblower knew everything that happened, Sarah. So why Bolton? To take the pressure off the whistleblower to testify seems pretty obvious to me. Look, it's a great point. The whistleblower is the reason for the season. The whistleblower is the person that made all of this happen. Yet nobody wants to talk about it. And and I want to say something, Jenny, and I think this is really important for all of you out there. The whistleblower, the whistleblower was meeting with Adam Schiff's committee before he turned in this report to Inspector General Michael Atkinson. This is Michael Atkinson, not the same Inspector General you've been hearing about at the Department of Justice. This is Michael Atkinson with the intelligence community. And right now, they're actually, they're being uh, the people within the Republican Party, the senior members of the House, uh, Devin Nunez, uh, Jim Jordan, and others, are investigating Michael Atkinson's role as well with the whistleblower. So I called the whistleblower Voldemort because it is the name That's that two. shall not be mentioned. That's I two. know, I know. <laughs> I can't, well, because we, you know, I mentioned the name on my on sarahcarter.com if you want to figure out who the suspected whistleblower is go to sarahcarter.com other people have written about this they can go on the web you can look it up and see for yourself right now we're just not mentioning it on the air until things move forward with the house impeachment but it's true and john bolton isn't going to tell us anything new other than he may have had a dispute with president trump what's the next one Next one, we have Linda. She says, if the Republicans allow these clowns to pull off another scam on the American people, dragging them into another multi-million dollar investigation, 
Most of America will be disgusted. I think most of America is disgusted. I think people are just frankly tired. They're tired of impeachment. They are tired of these investigations that go nowhere. They're tired of the Russia hoax that put America through two years. You know, they talk about, and I'm they, again, the Democrats right now, and those who are never Trumpers, you know, talk about Russian involvement in our 2016 election, right? They, they talk about this all the time. Oh, look at what the Russians did. Look at how they harmed our country. We are harming ourselves And we are allowing to divide our nation. It's us, not the Russians. We ourselves are doing it to each other. This is where we need to stop and think about this. This was a politically motivated impeachment. It was highly partisan in the House. All Democrats, that's how this is in this impeachment. And now it's at the Senate. And we saw the same thing with the Russia hoax debacle, as well as uh, Robert Mueller's special counsel investigation. This has been three years where Americans are thoroughly exhausted. They want answers and they want people held accountable. Let's not forget what happened in our FBI and our DOJ when it came to investigating a presidential campaign and then a president of the United States. Enormous malfeasance people breaking the rules left and right, and that's why Attorney General William Barr and and John Durham have this ongoing criminal probe. Next, let's see what we got here. Next, we have Wendy. She says, if they start taking witnesses because four Republicans slash Dems, I would say the trial will go on through the election. We know the corrupt socialist Dems won't stop there. There should be some type of repercussion for the Dems being because of her of harassing our president continuously. She brings up a good point. It will last months, months and months and months. I don't know if it'll last through the election, but it will last months and months. And this is what people are concerned about. How far do we go down this road? When we have issues like health care, education, you know, the economy, small business, that we're concerned about as Americans. We go home, we don't have time for this impeachment stuff based on nothing, based on political anger that President Trump became the president of the United States. This is all they are trying to do. And they are trying to subvert the election that already happened and stop 2020. So if anybody is getting involved, if anyone is doing anything, if anyone is doing anything, it's the Democrats. And that's what is happening. It's the Democrats that are doing this. So now we've heard what you've had to say once again. Thank you so much. There are so many other tweets out there. We'll try to respond on Twitter. We will try to get back to you on Instagram. And we'll continue to read your tweets here at the Sarah Carter Show. Yes, coming to you from Radio America. Again, if you want to read any of our breaking stories, and we've got a lot of them on there. Jenny Tara's got a great one up right now. And I mean, go to SarahACarter.com. Don't hesitate. Just get on your computer. Get on your phone. Put in SarahACarter.com. You'll see the latest breaking stories. We'll keep you updated on the coronavirus. And go to Twitter at Sarah Carter DC. That's Sarah Carter DC on Twitter. I'm almost at a million, folks. I want to get to a million. Thank We're gonna have you a party. again. We are gonna have a party. It will be a big party. I'll have special guests, special secret guests on this show when we get to a million. Looking forward to being with you again very soon. Thank you, America. We're taking back the story.